Let Mysteries at Midnight be your destination for detective whodunits and captivating mystery stories. You'll hear classic stories like Sherlock Holmes, Agatha Christie's Poirot and short tales from H.G. Wells, Charles Dickens, Edgar Allan Poe and others. I'm Christopher and I read these classic stories in the soothing style of a bedtime story so you can listen to them in bed when you drift off to sleep. Search for Mysteries at Midnight on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or your favourite podcast app and follow and subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. Soundington Media! At the base of Mount Pelion, on the eastern coast of Greece, many well-worn paths lead travellers on scenic hikes. The mountain is covered in all kinds of trees. Beech, oak, maple, olive, and apple. The thick forests give way in places to coves and beaches, or from high up, views of the Aegean Sea. An easy place to spend a day relaxing and dreaming. But you're on a mission. Alone on the mountain, you head deeper into the forest, along a steeper path. Up ahead, a cave juts out into view, a mass of shadowy rock in the otherwise lush landscape. You can smell a fire burning inside the cave, which is good, because it's starting to get dark. Legend has it that a great teacher lives in this cave, the teacher who taught heroes like Achilles, Jason, Theseus, and Heracles. Coming into the mouth of the cave, you see the light from the fire flicker across the walls. Behind you, the sun has just left the sky completely. You will need shelter for the night. From deep in the cave, the sound of echoing steps comes nearer. But they aren't human steps. The four-beat clip-clop of hooves draws closer. And then Chiron the centaur meets you at the mouth of the cave. So who is Chiron, and what even is a centaur? I'm Elise Parisian. We'll talk about all that and more on today's episode of Unspookable. A centaur is a is a person with a horse body that usually Hunts animals? Half man and half horse. I think a centaur is a human that's half horse. So, like, it starts from their waist down, they're a horse, but from the waist up, they're a human. With body muscles. (laughs) There is a lot of wild storytelling in Greek mythology. You may be familiar with Zeus or Hera or Ares or Athena. There's a whole pantheon of gods and goddesses who got into all kinds of trouble, with each other and with humans. Each god or goddess represented or oversaw different aspects of human life, but also had different human qualities or hopes and desires, strengths and weaknesses, that led to great adventures and misadventures. Greek mythology comes primarily from oral history, or stories passed down by word of mouth, until around 700 BC when the first written records of many of these stories were created. Of course, the stories themselves could be as infinite as the storytellers. But there are some primary ones that have reached us, thousands of years later, in a more or less standard form, where a specific version of the story seems to be agreed upon. 
From what has reached us from that time, it seems the Greeks were obsessed with knowledge, creating some of the first texts in the Western world about medicine, philosophy, science, and literature, including mythology. There are thinkers from that time whose work we still reference today, like the philosophers Plato and Aristotle. Can you imagine if you wrote something that people 2,500 years from now were still thinking about? With such a focus on knowledge, it's no wonder that Greek myths and legends also contain important teacher characters. And that's what brings us to Chiron. You see, Chiron was a brilliant mind, according to legend, He was also a centaur. A centaur is a creature with the lower body of a horse and the upper body of a human in place of where the horse's head and neck should be. The word centaur comes from the Latin centaurus, which was passed down from the Greek kentaros, the name for a group of fierce horsemen who lived in Thessalonica. The word centaur comes from the Latin centaurus, which was passed down from the Greek kentaros, the name for a group of fierce horsemen who lived in ancient Thessalonica. But were these horsemen actually horsemen? Or were they humans who were just really good at riding horses? You see, that's one of the ideas scholars have about where we got the idea for centaurs in the first place. Imagine if you had never seen a horse before, or never seen a person riding a horse. And one day, a group of men with weapons came riding into your town. What would you think they were? These were areas of ancient Greece where horses were not yet domesticated. And when they first saw people riding horses, either through trade or war, they may have speculated that the two were one creature. Outside of Greece, where centaurs became part of story and legend, similar reports of misunderstandings came from riding and non-riding cultures, first interacting in the Aztec Empire, when the Spanish brought cavalrymen, or soldiers, on horseback to take the Aztec people's land. The Kalibangan Seal, an artifact found during excavation of one of the Indus Valley civilization sites, dating to around 2000 BC, depicts a battle between humans and centaur-like creatures. Though some historians say the people of this civilization were more likely telling stories of half-human, half-tiger warriors, who may have inspired depictions of Durga, the Hindu goddess of war, often seen riding a tiger into battle. For the Greeks, though, the concept of centaurs, wherever it came from, became part of their imagination. In creating the wide mythological world that they did, centaurs were recurring characters. One myth suggests that centaurs were born of a kind of curse, where a wicked king named Ixion had a child with the nymph, Nepheli. Because of his evil ways, the king was cursed with a monstrous child named Kentaros, half-human, half-horse, the first centaur. Many myths agree that centaurs themselves are wild, untamable, and represent some of the worst qualities in humans. They like to party too much. They are loud and rude. They are always chasing after other people's partners and spouses. At the wedding of King Peritus, A friend of the important warrior Theseus, the mythical king who founded the city of Athens, the centaur guests got so rowdy that they attempted to kidnap the bride. The ensuing battle, called the Centauromachy, has been depicted in art across centuries, notably in marble relief by Michelangelo in 1492. 
The noted behavior of many centaurs brings us back to our friend Chiron. How did he become this revered teacher of myth when usually centaurs were depicted as unruly, wild animals? In the Iliad, the epic oral history of the Trojan War, believed to be the first written down by the poet Homer, Chiron is referred to as the wisest and justest of all centaurs. The story goes that Chiron is the son of Kronos, the leader of the Titans. As a young centaur, Chiron was taken under the wing of Apollo, Greek god of healing and medicine, archery, poetry, music, dance, truth and prophecy, and more. Apollo taught Chiron about art and herbs, and gymnastics and hunting, making Chiron rise above his nature as a beast. Chiron eventually moved into the cave on Mount Pelion, teaching some of the greatest warriors and heroes in Greek mythology, like the mighty Achilles, one of the most prominent characters in the Iliad. Chiron is sometimes depicted as having only the back legs of a horse, but the front legs of a human, often wearing clothes, which seems to emphasize the idea that there was a fine line between the human nature of a centaur and the uncivilized or beastly nature. The very existence of centaurs like Chiron seems to ask, are they human or not? Centaurs aren't the only half-human creatures in popular myth. More from the Greeks and creatures from around the world when we come back. A minotaur is like a cow that can stand up on its two legs and is an ancient creature. A minotaur is kind of like a centaur, but it's a bull mixed with a person with body muscles. I do not know, but I do think that minotaurs might have been stories from ancient Greek. Pan is a Greek god of the wild. A pan is just kind of like a goat person, but I don't get why they'd call it a pan if there's like a minotaur and a centaur, because then it can just be a goat-tar. I think that they exist so people can believe in something that they might not know if it's true, but they just want to have hope in them. I think stories of these creatures exist because... People were so bored out of their minds that they had to scare people. The Greek god Pan was said to be able to make anyone fall in love with him. He carried a set of pipes called a pan flute and roamed beautiful fields and woodlands, playing music and having parties. Sounds pretty nice, no? The only catch? Pan is half man, half goat. He can walk upright, but his lower half is that of a goat, complete with hooves and a tail. His upper body is human, but he has a goat's horns and is usually depicted as pretty hairy for a human. Pan is the god of woods and fields, shepherds and flocks, and the rebirth that comes with spring. Although some of the more prominent gods, like Athena or Apollo, would have temples built in their name for worship, Pan's followers would have worshipped him where he lived, in the fields or otherwise in nature. As a god, Pan was in a class of his own, but he is often identified as a satyr or fawn, two broader categories of half-man, half-goat creatures. The satyr was originally depicted in Greek art as a creature with the ears, tail, and legs of a horse. They were nature spirits, 
often seen as comically ugly, who enjoyed wine as much as their companion god, Dionysus, the god of celebration, and yes, the grape harvests that produced Greek wine. Satyrs were thought of as wicked troublemakers, not strong or powerful like centaurs. They were often featured in stories where they ended up failing miserably at whatever they tried to do, but still being willing to party at the end of the day. The Greeks ended up having a whole type of theater dedicated to satyr's antics. Satyr plays featured an entire chorus of the creatures performing tricks and pranks and other comic bits, with lots of rude jokes in between. These plays were meant to contrast the heavier subject matter of Greek tragedies and lighten the mood. In Roman civilization, which rose to prominence after the heyday of the Greeks, these nature spirits were known as fauns, a word you might recognize if you've heard of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, part of the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. The character of Mr. Tumnus is a fawn, walking on the bag legs of a goat, though in personality, he bears little resemblance to the outrageous portrayals of satyrs or fauns in ancient myth. Another fearsome creature in Greek and Roman myth is known as the Minotaur, from the name Minos and the word Taurus for bull. Minos was the son of the god Zeus in Europa and the first king of Crete. When the queen of Crete, Pasiphae, gave birth to a monster that is half man and half bull, Minos orders the great craftsman Daedalus and his son Icarus to build an elaborate labyrinth to trap the beast. The Minotaur is considered even more dangerous and terrifying than a centaur or satyr could ever be. He has the head and tail of a bull and the body of a man. To keep the beast satiated, King Minos demands a tribute of seven girls and seven boys from the neighbor kingdom Athens. The kids are sent into the labyrinth, never to be seen or heard from again. They are food for the Minotaur. It isn't until the hero Theseus of Athens conquers the labyrinth and slays the monster that his kingdom is freed from this torturous ritual. Many versions of the story say that when the queen bore the baby, she actually named him Asterion, or Starry One, which many think connects him to the bull constellation named Taurus. It wasn't until later that the name Minotaur became associated with all bull-human creatures more generally. But it isn't just the Greeks or Romans who told stories of human-hybrid creatures. In the pantheon of Hindu gods and goddesses, Kamadenu is part woman, part cow. Depicted with a human head and wings on the back of her cow's body, she is known as the cow of plenty and the mother of all cows. In Hinduism, cows are worshipped as sacred, all of them the offspring of this goddess. Rather than seen as strange or monstrous, Kamadenu is part of a culture where her appearance is delightful, holy, and powerfully life-giving. In Islamic tradition, the Barak has the body of a winged horse, but the face of a human. In Arabic, the word Barak can mean lightning or bright. The Barak is said to be a transport for some prophets, like the Prophet Muhammad carried by Barak from Mecca to Jerusalem to the heavens and back. In the Philippines, some people tell tales of the Tikbalong, a humanoid creature with features of a horse who walks upright but on long limbs with hooves. Living in mountains and forests, the Tikbalong tries to lead people astray and is often associated with demons or phantoms. In Scottish tradition, perhaps derived from Norse mythology, 
The Nakalavi is a sea-dwelling demon, a humanoid horse whose very breath was said to cause crops to die and livestock to sicken. This creature was often blamed for droughts, diseases, or all kinds of calamities on land. So what are these different types of half or part human creatures telling us about the human imagination? And how have we adapted them into our storytelling today? There's more to talk about when we get back. Hi, Elise here. And this week, we are excited to give you a listen to the latest from Soundsington Media, Reach, a space podcast for kids. If you like what you hear, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Can animals survive in space? Where do astronauts go to the bathroom? Is Pluto a planet? Is the moon really made of cheese? Hi, I'm Brian Holden. And I'm Meredith Stepien. And we're going to answer all of these questions and more on our brand new show, Reach, a space podcast for kids. Built for kids and based on questions from kids, Reach will feature fun interviews and stories, as well as experiments you can do at home in association with experts and thought partners from leading institutions like the Adler Planetarium and many, many more. The first season of Reach begins June 16th, 2020. Make sure you subscribe to Reach, a space podcast for kids, now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Can you list the names of some superheroes you've heard of? Or even supervillains? Chances are you can't get far into a list without naming someone whose name indicates animal qualities. Spider-Man, Catwoman, Black Panther, Wolverine, Beast Boy, Squirrel Girl. These characters may look like the animals that are part of them, or they might want to emulate the abilities of the creatures they are named after. Human-animal hybrids have been part of our storytelling since the beginning of human history, and we continue to come up with more fascinating blends for movies, books, video games, and comics. From the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to the centaurs that live in the Forbidden Forest in Harry Potter, our imaginations seem endless when it comes to creating new versions of hybrids or adding complexities of character to old favorites. If our ancestors in the first civilizations were giving animal qualities to people by dreaming up the first versions of centaurs and mermaids, now we've gotten to a place where the animals in our storytelling are as complex as our modern world. The Greeks may have imagined that a centaur was born of the gods, but now our imaginations are drawn to things like DNA splicing, accidents in laboratories, magical spells, and interstellar travel to explain the endless variety of humanoid creatures that appear in pop culture. There's a common thread in a lot of the creatures we have looked at who appear to be part human. Their stories can be as varied as the cultures they come from. They may be thought of as good or bad, talked about as part of a religion, or simply for entertainment. But all of them have qualities or characteristics that make storytellers and listeners ask the question, are they human or not? Which leads us to the ever-important, if confusing, question. Well, what is a human? What do humans act like? What are we supposed to do or be? Are we prone to being outrageous or even violent partiers like the centaurs at the wedding? Or are we more like Chiron, capable of learning and teaching the most complex subjects? And 
what if we're both? To be half in one world and half in another. What would that be like? Think about a time you felt like you were caught in the middle of two people or two groups or two different things that you wanted. How did it feel? A lot of scholars wonder whether humans come up with myths and legends about half-human beings because they are a way to make physical the strong qualities or desires of human nature that pull us in opposite directions. Sometimes we want to go wild and run through the forests. And sometimes we want to sit quietly and read a book or play a video game or watch a movie. Sometimes we are fierce and fast and strong. And sometimes we are gentle and thoughtful and kind. Sometimes we even tell rude jokes for comic relief. Perhaps it's easier for us to understand the ways that we contain all of those qualities when we relate the more wild ones to our animal cousins. Perhaps when we think about a man with a bull's head or a woman with the body of a horse, we are simply telling stories about different versions of ourselves. After all, it might be kind of cool to have hooves or horns, even if it's only in a story. Thanks for listening to Unspookable. I'm your host, Elise Parisian. This episode was written by Eleanor Riley Condit, produced and edited by Nate Dufort. Our theme song and additional music composed by Jesse Case. Our logo was created by Natalie Kewen, with episode artwork by Brianna Jacoby. Special thanks this week to our guests Blythe, Olivia, and Al. If you enjoy the show, make sure to tell your friends. You can leave us a rating and review in your podcast player of choice, or share an episode on social media. Speaking of social media, you can find Unspookable on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us for a peek behind the scenes and for updates on the show. Unspookable is part of the Soundsington Audio Network, committed to making quality programming for young audiences and the young at heart. For more information on our shows and the people behind them, go to www.soundsingtonmedia.com. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now.